Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself when I question myself. Okay, I could just keep singing that song for an hour. Any Beatles fans in the house? Right? Um, yeah, okay, so when I found out that was the song, I was like, I have ADD. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do much after that. Um, but what's up, table fam? Can I call you fam? Is that okay? Everybody else has been saying fam. I assume that was how we did it, right? Thanks, Isaac. Um, shout out to Isaac. Okay, if you don't know Isaac very well, he is one of the coolest guys, one of the nicest guys. And when I was interviewing to come to this church two years ago, I got to sit with Isaac and Alec Brockell. And I had a conversation with them that they talked about the college ministry here. I didn't have any context for the table, for you guys, for any of this, but it was so evident to me that God was doing something in Isaac that was being echoed in Alec that I wanted to be a part of. And even if that's just sharing an office on the same campus, Isaac is the real guy. Like, he's the goat. And uh, you should be humbled and honored. You can clap for him. He's probably so uncomfortable that I'm talking like this about him, and that's because he's so humble and so genuine and one of the reasons I love him very much. So we're going to just jump right in. He mentioned that I kind of am a Floridian, but kind of am not. It's a really awkward question for me to deal with because I grew up all over the map. Um, but I do love Orlando. And so it's like the closest thing to a home that I have beyond Africa, which is where I was raised uh, for much of my formative years. But I was going to say the last time, like the, the reason I love Orlando, one of the reasons I fell in love with it was the Orlando Magic had like one great season when I lived here, and it was the best one. It was 2009. They went to the playoffs and lost to the Cavs, question mark? Somebody, a base, basketball fan can correct me. But anyway, I just love Orlando. And it's so fun to get to be here and get to share with you guys, especially in a series called Help and kind of get to talk about what love, belonging, acceptance, all that looks like played out in some practical ways. Um, but Alec mentioned, or Alec, Isaac mentioned that I grew up in Africa. So my parents were missionaries. We grew up there in the 90s. Uh, it was a really like awkward, weird time to be in Johannesburg, South Africa because the end of apartheid. And I'm a little like nerdy, pasty white kid, and my parents were taking us all around Johannesburg, building uh, schools and churches, and that's what we did for several years. And that ended, and this is just kind of like a get to know me, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of, I'll share some about my story throughout this talk, uh, but it ended, we moved back to America because we'd been targeted. Some people who uh, knew the work we were doing didn't like us there, and so they attempted to kidnap me and my siblings. And they got us, put us in the back of a truck and said, you're never going to see your parents again. We're going to sell you as sex slaves. Say goodbye. And that was like at 11 years old. That was this moment. And through a series of miracles, one day I'll get to share them all because it's a long story. Through a series of miracles, we make it out of that, all of us, physically unharmed. We come back to Orlando and uh, I am this just like traumatized little 11-year-old who comes to Orlando and who's my parents doing the best you can in like the early or late 90s, early 2000s. And they enrolled me in a Christian school. And um, that was kind of my like introduction to America was a Christian private school, which if you've ever been to one of those, yeah. wow, <laughs> we'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> because I was homeschooled. Then I got introduced to, so like I was already a little messed up. Any homeschoolers? 
We love you. We pray for you every day. One day you will have a social life. Okay. I'm just kidding. I, lo- I was that for a long time. Real awkward, real chunky, real pasty, real traumatized, right? And so my grandma, who was not a very sweet lady, but she had a very sweet idea. When we got back to the States, she said, why don't you take the kids to Chuck E. Cheese? You know, they, what could go wrong? And I, my parents took us to the Chuck E. Cheese maybe like three weeks after we had been kidnapped, uh, which I know, right? You can just, it's okay to laugh. We've, I've worked through this mostly. Um, so we go to Chuck E. Cheese, and I seriously did have like a heavenly, angelic, healing moment when I walked into Chuck E. Cheese, and they said, Corey, everything's a quarter. And there was a soda fountain in Africa. Where's Mike? No free refills. Okay? So I had not had a refill of a soda in my life. I got the Chuck E. Cheese, and there was Mountain Dew flowing like I was in heaven. So I am just like, and me and my brother and my two sisters, we are just like, ah, amped. And uh, we run around Chuck E. Cheese like banshees. But nobody explained the economy of Chuck E. Cheese. Any Chuck E. Cheese, like, know-it-alls, experience, you, yes, you went to Christian school, so you definitely, um, <laughs> me too. Um, okay, so I, I had never been in a Chuck E. Cheese, and when you walk in, it, there's the, the, the toy counter, which is just like stacks on stacks on stacks of so much cool toys, and then there's all the quarter games, and so not being familiar with the economy of Chuck E. Cheese, I ran around and wasted all my money on skee-ball, like having fun, right? <laughs> yeah, dumb. Uh, and they, at skee-ball, you get like a, a few tickets, right? Like if you're really good, maybe you get like six or seven. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But if you want to get toys, you don't get them playing skee-ball. I learned this when I walked up to the counter with like my little stack of tickets, which I was like pretty pumped about because in Africa, prices and money are pretty inflated. So if I had one like paper dollar or paper money in Africa, that translated to like a couple hundred rand. So I thought like, I have a couple hundred tickets here. And I saw on the top rack, there's this remote control car that's like 5,000 tickets. I'm like, this is enough. I walk up to the counter like I'm in some kind of Bond movie. I'm like, give it to me now. You know, I'm like, I'm pumped. I go to the counter. We've been screaming, drinking Mountain Dew. It's the best day ever. I'm about to walk away with this remote control car. And uh, the lady, of course, looks at me like I'm an idiot. And um, she says, you have like 10 tickets. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it's inflation. You get, you just, we know about inflation right now, right? Like <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese was on the inflation game early. Um, <laughs> and, and in that moment, as I'm having this like economic crisis in my head, uh, there is like the stereotypical like 90s bully kid is also at Chuck E. Cheese. I'm fat and homeschooled and African and traumatized. And here comes Chad, and he's like, ha, loser. And he just like totally, he made a huge deal, him and all his friends, because they had, they had all the tickets. They also had rich parents, so I didn't have that either. Uh, but they had just like tickets everywhere. And they walked up, and it was like a sick joke that he threw them down in just like such a laissez-faire kind of way. I'm like, I had mine folded. I couldn't even get a race track. I couldn't even get a race car. And, uh, In that moment where I watched little Chad absolutely poke fun at me because I didn't have enough tickets to get the top shelf toy, it was like a bit of a crisis moment, as you can imagine, right? Feel sad. Oh, sad. Um, It's all right. Thank you. I I grew up in Africa. I think I said this already, but uh, we're very active. Like church is an active thing. So 
Um, so if you're responding, did you hear that crack? I promise I didn't fart. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in Africa, it's a very talk back. It's a very like, let's engage. So if you don't make any noise, I'm going to feel really awkward and I'm going to start like spiraling. So please engage with me. Um, <laughs> where was I? Okay. Uh, tickets. Yeah. Little Chad had all these tickets and it was my introduction to what it was like to not have enough of something in like a really like weird, I know you're like, oh, what a privileged, weird way to say that. I know, but it was, it hit me in this moment. And, and as that started to kind of unfold for me, I love Chuck E. Cheese. Like there is nowhere to find worse pizza on the planet, but it is such a good, fun, wholesome place. And uh, it, it was that moment though, and I still love Chuck E. Cheese, uh, but it, it, I'm, that's gonna, I'm just gonna stay over here. Help me. Help me. I'm going to move this around. I'm going to focus. Okay. It was in that moment, right, where I experienced the not enough of something. After I have, you know, we've been having this crisis moment, so I'm trying to process a lot as a kid. And that moment happens where all these tickets, and I don't have them, and I didn't understand, right? There was so much that I didn't get. And it, it shocked me because inside of Chuck E. Cheese, those had some value, right? They have, tickets have value. I can get some things. They're currency. Outside of Chuck E. Cheese, they're worthless. But I couldn't make that connection. I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm worthless. I don't have anything. And uh, that became, and you know, I processed through that. I'm doing okay now. But uh, that is a picture I have. For so many things, when it comes to the way that we grow in our understanding of the love that God gives to us, the belonging that we should have in the family of God, and the ways that that can go awry. Because for me, what I experienced was inside of Chuck E. Cheese, everybody kind of knew what was going on with the tickets and the games. And my brother, he was really sweet. He came up to me afterwards. He's like, Corey, if you want to have a lot of tickets, you have to play the one game with the lights. And you have to try and hit the jackpot. Because when you do, you can go rub it in little Chad's face. And I was like, that is it. I'm here for that. And um, I did and never got the jackpot, but I tried. Um, but it evoked in me something that will help us, I think, tonight process through and kind of unpack what it looks like to be a member of the family of God, a part of a church, a, in a community, just in a community, doing community well, and needing help at the same time. Because sometimes it's a little complicated, it's a little difficult to ask for help. So I want to turn to one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's probably my favorite. It's my favorite. It's found in Luke chapter 15. And it's in a time and place where Jesus is, um, he's traveling through uh, to Jerusalem. And he stops, he's been telling stories and a crowd has gathered and a good chunk of the crowd has gathered with criticism. And so they're, they're gathering to hear him at the beginning of this chapter. If you want to turn there in your phones or in your Bible, you can go to Luke 15. And he tells some stories because some people around him, the Bible refers to them as tax collectors and Pharisees, also gathered with other people. And so contextually, Jesus is in one of the most like tension-filled environments that you could find him in. And Jesus being like a master storyteller, being like the guy who can bring people together, he starts telling stories. And specifically, he tells stories about lost things being found. And as a Toy Story generation kid, like, this chapter got me, because no toy left behind, right? Uh, but 
The, the last story he tells is a story I want to talk through. Uh, but before we get there and before we read scripture, I just want to take a minute and pray, kind of settle our hearts, settle our mind. And if you are here and you are in need of some help or you know some people who are in need of help, and you're not sure, what are some practical ways that I love my friends who need help? Or how, is some way, how are some ways that I find help in a community? How are, some, how are some ways that I access belonging and love? Man, as we pray, would you, just, would you just ask God, God, would you speak to me? Would you speak to some people on my behalf? Because I need some help. And let us, as we read this chapter, and as we read God's word, would you just let God's word read you back? Would you let it be a bit of a mirror and a bit of a conversation with you and God? And would you let him move in your heart, and in your mind. Will you do that? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you speak to us in such a timeless way that when we are struggling, and there are probably some here who are, who need some love and need some care, need some encouragement, need some people. They need some family to sit around a table. God, I thank you that your word gives us instructions on how to do that and that you love us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen? Amen. That was a weak amen. Are you guys awake? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Thanks. Appreciate that. Okay, so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling this story to a group of people who would have mostly been there to disagree with him. So like your crazy conservative grandma, she's there. Okay, your super liberal uncle, he's there too. Um, your brother who's stoned a lot, he's there. Um, some other, some people of the street, okay, some criminals, some religious, some religion professors. Okay, my religion professors, y'all, they were some of the most, like, uptight folk I ever met in my life. They were there. Everybody who you could ever imagine Jesus getting the opportunity to share his message with is sitting in this forum, and he tells a story, then he tells another story, and then he comes to this story, which is uh, always kind of been unpacked to me as the story of the prodigal son. But when I read this story, I don't just see one son. There is a dad, there is the wayward son, there's an older brother, but there's a whole family that lives and serves and works in this community. And so as we read, would you just not read the son portion of this? Would you just maybe ask God, how, does, how do I fit in this story? Do I fit here? And how? Because we all do. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says, Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two boys. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. So here we have this son. He wants his inheritance, right? And he goes off and he wastes it. And we find him in this story feeding pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. So he wanted to eat pig food. That's how hungry he had to be. Okay, that's hungry. Have you ever seen what pigs eat? It's crazy gross. Okay, so he wanted to eat what the, figs, or what the pigs uh, were being fed. And so he longed to fill his stomach. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. So I'm gonna set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That's just a really important part. If you're taking notes, you should underline that. Remember it on sad days where you're listening to like some cerebrellis and you just look at that little line. You're like, he saw him when he was a long way off. We're going to come back to it. Uh, And he was filled with compassion. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. You've got to love how many times in the New Testament Jesus is talking about parties, at parties, bringing wine to parties. Like, he is a party guy, okay? So when I read this story, I see a family that is in a pretty difficult spot. The son halved his inheritance. Likely this is like an agrarian farmer guy. And Jesus is telling this story to a bunch of different people who would have all understood the context and the pressures and the financial woes that were facing the dad. And when the youngest son came and asked for his inheritance, that's a big deal in Jewish culture. And so in this point in history, if the dad said yes, he would be scoffed at by his community. They'd have been like, seriously, what a bad business move. Why would you half your property? He had to, likely had to sell a bunch of stuff to give money to his son so he could go and do whatever the thing he was wanting to do. And the dad says yes. So the dad makes uh, what many of us would call a pretty bad business choice and maybe a bad parenting choice, right? So the dad's feeling all of this tension within his community. And when the son left and, and he kind of squandered all of that and wasted that money, what would have happened? There's a, there's a ceremony where that community would have broken a vase or a jar or a pot and they would have physically turned their backs on that son, on the prodigal son. And they would have stopped seeing him as a member of the family. It would have been a very ceremonial thing, but it would have been a pretty painful thing. And so here we have this dad who has made a pretty poor business choice and a bad financial decision. And then a famine hits. So then he's extra, like things are extra tight. Okay. It's like living through a pandemic. Okay. It's like it, things got tight. We're all experiencing that. It's like, it's very, it's so cool because Jesus is sitting in a room full of people who are disagreeing with each other. They're here because they hear Jesus is saying something radical and they don't like it. And so they come there and they're disagreeing with each other, but they're all focused on how much they disagree with Jesus and what he's saying. And he chooses to, to highlight this family and this story. And so while the son was a long way off, the dad saw him. That line that the dad could see him, that Jesus would say that to a group of, to conservative grandma and crazy uncle, that Jesus would say that to all of the religion professors in the room, was a pretty big shift away from what had always been. And that is so in character with who Jesus is. He came to to shake things up, to change the rules a bit. Any rule followers in the house? Do you just like, like three of you, cool. Um, this is going to be an awkward five minutes for most of you. Uh, 
So I want to talk about following rules. Uh, I like to follow rules. Rules were really helpful for me when I came to America and I didn't understand so much of the things that happen here. It's so loud and everybody wears shoes. I didn't get it. Like I was barefoot kid for like most of my life. And, um, and refills and air conditioning, just good, good stuff. But rules helped me to make sense of things that didn't really click. And so I like to follow the rules, but vague rules really stress me out. Anybody get stressed out by like vague rules? Okay, like there's a dress code. Cool, cool. What's the dress code? Like uh, it's, it's the, the wedding invite that's like uh, business casual or there's all those different terms now for what that means. And I'm like, I, shh, give me pictures. Like give me a Pinterest board with what I'm supposed to wear to this thing because I don't get it. Um, so I like clear rules. And so Jesus is coming and to this whole environment, he's changing the rules. And he's actually making it pretty clear how we ought to operate. And so as I read the rest of this story, I want to ask us some questions. And I want to think about maybe what it is that Jesus is asking of each of us when it comes to how we help, how we participate in actively being a decent person, but a good Christ follower. How do we help? How do we interact here? This story gives us so much so much to consider. And it gives you so many opportunities to contextualize it. What does this mean for me? What does this mean in how I live every day of my life? But Jesus comes and he changes the rules and he was inviting people to participate in this shift that he came to bring. And so the question I want to ask in the spirit of what we found in the dad in that story where he saw his son a long way off. The question I want to ask you tonight is, are you finding people or are you forgetting people? Because here's the thing. It's easy to forget people, y'all. I met somebody and I forgot their name instantly. Like that's simple. I'm bad at names, okay? So that's one thing. But it's easy to forget people. Man, if, my, if, if, if I got put into a tight financial spot, my son left, it would be hard for me to forget him, but I'd try. You know, like I'd be a little frustrated. Uh, and especially when there's all this community pressure, people saying you're a bad dad because you gave your son money and he wasted it. There's all these pressures. And I just, I just picture this guy. And I, I think there's probably room for each of us to picture ourselves there, even if you're not a dad. I'm a dad, so I have dad jokes. But beyond that, even if you're not a dad, someone hurts you and disappears, that, that leaves a mark. But when you know Jesus and you have hope, what that does is it gives you a little, bit of a, a little bit of faith, a little bit of encouragement. And so I picture this dad sitting there running his family farm, which is now like half the size it used to be. And he's, he's doing the books, but he's looking for his son even a long way off, right? Because it's a farm, so they got a long road winding down. And I just picture him sitting outside on the porch. And every now and again, maybe once an hour, he's reading his book or he's doing something or maybe he's just sitting there drinking an iced tea. And he just looks out and he's like scanning for his son. And he doesn't see him, but it becomes habit. And then one day he's scanning the horizon again and a long way off, he sees like an outline of a body. And he knows instantly, that's my son. And he runs and he runs. And the son has his whole apology speech prepared. He's like, dad, I'm sorry, I'm the worst. Pig food stinks. Let me just come and be a part of your house. Let me serve. I'm not worthy to be a son. I just want to work. I just want to have a job. I want to be able to eat. And the dad dismisses all of that. And he brings him in and he says, no, 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 we're going to hug. 
I'm going to re-inherit you. I'm going to put the robe on. I'm going to give you a ring. I'm going to give you shoes, and we're going to kill a fat calf. We're going to party like it's 1995. Okay? That was a good year. Um, <laughs> but we're going to party. We're going to like kill a fat calf, and we are going to party. That only happens when the dad is trying to find somebody. When, when we are people, when you and I take this approach to, to trying to, to be a person who wants to help, we have to start helping by finding people, not forgetting people. And it's easy in life. Man, people move away, you move away, stuff gets crazy, pandemics, right? So we're just spread out. It's easy to forget that people matter and it's easy to forget that we all need a little bit of help every now and again. It's easy to help. It's easy to forget how much help each of us needs and how much help each of us has received already along the way. Okay, I'm a person who has received a lot of help, a lot of help. And it's easy for me to forget how much help I received. And uh, I, I realize as I read this story, it's starting to read me back and I'm thinking, okay, I forgot some people. But I Often when I have that moment in a church service where reading scripture, it makes me want to withdraw and hide away. Don't do that. Lean into that. Would you please? Uh, and so I'm naturally an introvert. It's part of the reason I kind of retreat. It's easy for me to retreat. I'm a little introverted. Um, I'm a rule follower. I already told you that. But I'm also a little critical. Uh, I think it's because I literally grew up in church and I was around a lot of mean old church ladies and they were mean, like they're just mean. I was a pastor's kid, so like everybody else got to do all kind of fun stuff. I had to like sit on the front row of every service. And I, I just got really critical. And I don't know if you've ever been critical before, if that's part of who you are, uh, but I got pretty critical. And so this next part of the story, I really identify with what happens. And uh, it's not a nice thing to feel identified by a bad character in a story, um, but it's okay, okay? It's okay to not be okay. Uh, and so would you just go there with me? I'm going to try and be a little transparent with you as we read this story together. Um, but I will tell you a story because I'm a rule follower. Um, my wife is not. And uh, when we were dating, uh, I got really thrown off one time because we were late uh, for a date. We were going to go buy Chick-fil-A. I was going to pick her up. We we're going to go buy Chick-fil-A. We we're going to go see a movie. And uh, she was running late. So of course, we're waiting, waiting, waiting. Now there's not enough time to go get Chick-fil-A. I'm like, babe, what are we going to do? We need Jesus chicken if we're going to not fall into temptation while we're in the movie. Okay? <laughs> Hello? You seductress. Um, so, so her counter to my proposal and my fears was, well, there's a subway right by uh, the, the movie theater. I'll just get extra onions and vinegar and it'll be fine. And sure enough, we avoided temptation. But uh, the thing that she, we had planned to eat the Chick-fil-A in the car on the way to the movie theater and that didn't happen because the subway's at the movie theater. She's like, I was like, how are we going to eat our food? There's not enough time. She's like, oh, I'll sneak it in. Sneak it in. You sinner. <laughs> I was so, listen, we were dating. And that was probably the only moment that I thought, I don't know if I can date this girl anymore. And I am stressed. Like, you think I'm sweating right here right now. We walk up to the little ticket counter. The little 19-year-old kid who's taking tickets is like, yeah, here's your tickets. I don't care. He didn't care that my wife was illegally sneaking food into the theater. I'm sweating bullets. Okay? And she's just like, whatever. And we get in there, and she opens up the sub, and it reeks of onions. I'm like, they're going to kick us out. She's like, no, it'll be fine. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, so not following the rules really stresses me out. So I really identify with this next portion of the story. And so this is me just giving you permission to be a little vulnerable uh, and to feel like a bad person for about three minutes. Uh, <laughs> we can look together uh, in Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 25. 
after the son is welcomed in and he's given clothes and him and his dad are, are having this kind of together moment, right? Uh, I, oh, I forgot to tell you. Any Stranger Things fans in the house? Okay, I picture when that son is running, down the, running up that hill, is playing. Anybody, anybody with me? Okay, all five of you, thank you. Uh, all right, so verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. And so he called out one of the servants and he said, what's going on? Your brother has come, is what he said. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became very angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered his property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fat calf for him? Angry, question mark, slam, walk away. Like that's how I read that. And I also read that going, right, he did everything right. What's the deal? And there is a important bit of context that we need to get here, but I want you to see before we move on, I, I, me, my, my, so focused on himself. And we read that and we can see the, the words there and go, oh, wow, he's really self-consumed. That's what it sounds like. But when the father welcomes him home and he gives him back robe and he gives him uh, shoes, what he's saying is, you're back. You're part, of the, you're part of the family. What that would have meant to the older son who was trying to be a responsible rule follower person was that now I'm going to have to split what little of my inheritance I have left with my younger brother again, he's counting the cost. He's counting the cost of what it looks like to bring someone back into belonging and to really help someone. He's counting the cost and he's doing it pretty, pretty, pretty loudly. He's like, dad, seriously. And he knows that other families in this area, this is kind of the culture, right? Everybody who's sitting here would have understood what Jesus was saying. And so the older son is saying, People aren't even going to want to do business with now, us now because they think you're such a bad businessman. You've let your son back in and you've re-inherited him. Are, nobody's going to want to be in community with us. He's living in so much fear. And so much of what he is doing is not even invalid. Okay, we all have bills to pay. Hello. Uh, student loans. Okay, we've all got things that we need to manage and care about and be good stewards of. And at the same time, at the same time of all of that, Jesus is saying, yeah, we can do that and we can help. He's saying, let's change the game. Let's be responsible and celebrate, okay? Let's like drink responsibly, okay? Just kidding, I do not, that's, okay, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I, meant, I meant it like we, okay, forget it. That's not how I meant it. <laughs> anyway. Good night, yep, I'm out. Um, no, no. What, what he was calling, what Jesus is saying and what he's calling out here is that there are moments where we need to be about us. There are times when something special happens and somebody coming back home, going from dead to alive is a special moment. When someone says, I want to be in community, our answer is not, but look at the cost. Our answer has to be, sure, let's kill a cow. Like, let's party. Why? Because we need, I need community. I need friends just as much as everybody else. So who are we to say no to that for other people? 
It's the thing about this story and this brother that convicts me the most. Because I've spent so much of my life here collecting tickets, doing things, playing a game that I think will get me some sort of top-tier value in life, forgetting that there's an us, there's a community, there is a <clears throat> table, not to be cheesy, uh, but there is, a, there is a place that God has called us to be together. And when I come to that place with all of the me, I, me things, we miss out on the party. We miss out on the goodness, on the help that God is trying to bring to an environment, to a city, to our hearts. So my second question is, am I about me or am I about us? And I think there are so many opportunities as Jesus kind of unpacks the story for us to live in the tension of that. Because families, listen, I got a messed up family. Anybody got a messed up family? Okay, they require some of these questions. Yeah, extra hands for the homeschool fam. Okay, uh, that, families need some of these questions. And if you're going to be in community with people, you need to ask some of these questions. And you need to ask people to ask you back. And you need to have honest, hard, difficult, uncomfortable conversations about what it looks like to be about me and be about us. To care about and steward what God is doing in each of you at the same time as going, how can we do this together? Because I don't ever want my little brother, my, my friend who has messed up a thousand times, to not want to be in an environment just because so many of my tickets are louder than my actions. So many of the things that I care about and me, 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 my, 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 my cow, my inheritance, my life. Yeah, cool. I, I want that for all of us. We can do that together. It's not got to be so mutually exclusive, but it's hard to see that when there's moments of lack. There was a famine. They were not going to be very profitable that year. It's hard to want to be about us and throw a party when gas prices are that high. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is a whole, like, respond to me, engage with me here. Preach it, white boy, something. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard to want to be about people. It's hard to want to be about community. It's hard to want to help when you don't have a lot to give. <sighs> but Jesus is telling to a, a crowd. He's speaking to each and every one of us in this moment. So where are you in this story? I know when I read this story, I think about how many times I have been found a long way off and how many different people paid the price for me to be welcomed back into the fold. Too many people, too, too high a price. Too many people for me, too high a price for me. And man, it's too important what each of you has in you, what each of us represent is people that God wants to love through you, through me. And there's too much in here that God wants to do for us to just say, no, 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 I'm just going to be about myself. I'm going to be all about me. Because sometimes the price is just too high. Like that's coming from a guy who got kidnapped. That's, that price is way too high. I don't want to pay that price. If you ask me today still, the price is too high. Many, many times following Jesus, the price is too high. But that's kind of the point, is that it's always going to be a little bit more than what I think I can give. It's always going to be a little bit more than I am comfortable with. And yet, God promises to meet us there every time. His promises never return void. Okay? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. That doesn't mean that every single day of our life is going to be simple. Simple. 
Following Jesus requires a lot, but man, it gives a lot more back, a lot more back. And uh, I, I told you I learned this because I was a pretty difficult child. I'm a second son, so I really identify with the prodigal uh, here because I was just an idiot. And um, growing up, I was contrarian. I have an older brother and two younger sisters. So everything that my family did, I just wanted to do the opposite. They were Gators fans. I was a Seminole fan. They were Magic fans. I was a Bulls fan for like a day. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, it, it just, I was so opposite, so contrarian. And uh, in that, and in kind of just a desire to prove myself into my family, I, we all want to kind of have a voice or have a space and grow and do all of those things. It's so okay to want to do that. And at the same time, we've got to do that together and not on our own. But the oldest son, he was decidedly against this happening for his younger brother. He was just like, no, 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 not here for it. There's something else contextually that we, uh, I want to just highlight. In this passage at the end there, he says, your, uh, your son of yours squandered his property with prostitutes, comes home, and you kill a fat calf for him. And I've always read that and wondered, how did he know what his younger brother spent his money on? It's not an unvalid question, right? How does, how does the older brother know what his younger brother spent his money on? It's not listed earlier in the passage in this story. But what, again, what would have happened? Jesus is telling this story to a group of people who would have all known it was the oldest brother's job when his younger brother's left to, to please his father, to bring honor back to the family, for him to either go with his youngest brother and try and bring him back home or go with his brother and work to make sure he was successful. That's a high cost. And he didn't do that. We know that because he says, oh, he just wasted his money. The brother saw his youngest brother. The older brother saw his younger brother. Wasting his money on prostitutes. And he comes home. He leaves him there. We don't know what's going on with that. We just know that's where they were. He accuses, he deems him unworthy, and the cost is too high. Am I about me or am I about us? Am I forgetting people? Am I finding people? And there's this last passage of scripture I want to read. It's found in verse 31. Luke 15, verse 31. The father answers his oldest son and he says, My son, the father, so the father said, You are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. The dad's message of love there was so clear. We had to celebrate. What a good note for each of us when it comes to how we help, how we love, how we bring belonging to a moment. We do not bring hate. We celebrate. Come on, I even rhymed it. Okay, that's my last question is, do you hate or do you celebrate? Are you a, are you a person who when something's going on in someone's life, they want to come and talk to you because they know that you're going to hear and you're going to care and you're going to celebrate what's true? Or are you going to be the kind of person who's just like, yeah, you're an idiot. Don't do that. I can't believe you went out and wasted your money on X, Y, and Z. Because that happens far too often, especially in Christian communities, happens way too much. But just in everyday life, we can't be those kind of people. We have to be postured to mend relationship. We've got to be postured to bring peace to a situation, to a complex family, right? We've got a dad who makes bad financial choices. We've got a son who's wayward. We've got an older brother who is just so miserable. He needs to relax. We've got all these things happening at the same time. How do we move forward here together? We celebrate. 
Jesus says it so loud and clear. When something that was lost is found, we celebrate. And we have to consciously make those choices. We have to intentionally step into an environment ready to find somebody, ready to bring them into the us fold, right? Bring them into a community that will love them and to celebrate when steps are taken, when truth is found, when there are things worthy of celebration, we gotta be there. Not with our hate, not with our doubt, not with all those things, but with our, with our celebration, with the love that Jesus Christ puts in each of us. We gotta bring that to the party. We gotta bring that to the party. There's, um, yeah, this is incredibly personal to me, this story in so many ways. And I'll kind of close here if the band wants to come join. Uh, my parents have been married almost 40 years. They recently got divorced. And it's just really just like messy. Ooh, I told you my family's complicated. I meant it. Uh, and, uh, and so my dad turned 60 a couple weeks ago. And I called him up before that. And I was like, Dad, what are you doing for your birthday? Mind you, this is a guy, I have a complicated relationship with him. And uh, he's forgotten my birthday more times than he's remembered it. But I called him, I said, Dad, you know, his divorce finalized like the week before his 60th birthday. Like, you're turning 60, what are you doing? And he goes, I don't know. I'm like, okay. And talking to him is tough. Anybody got a tough dad? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but like, dads are tough. And uh, I just prayed. I talked to Sarah, my wife, and we got to do something for him because this is just, I mean, this is bleak. This is a bleak moment in his life turning 60 and he didn't know what he was going to do. And so I said, dad, do you want to like invite somebody and do anything? He's now I don't have anybody to invite. Wow. Um, and so I looked on the calendar and his favorite baseball team was playing in Tampa. And uh, so I called him up. I said, dad, I'll buy some tickets. Let's go to a game. Let's just go catch a baseball game. And we got there, I bought him tickets. We, anytime we ever went to a game, like three times, we'd always sit in the nosebleeds. So I bought him tickets right behind his favorite team's dugout. And we got there and we sat down. And it was a long game. Baseball games are long. And if you don't talk a lot to your dad, it's like extra long. <laughs> You're just sitting there in silence and it's just, it's like how many popcorn cups can we eat? Um, <laughs> we ate a lot. And, um, and it, that's how we filled all the way to the seventh inning. And we get up at the uh, seventh inning stretch. And everybody's singing the song, you know, take me out to the ball game, yada, yada, yada. And at the end, you know, I turn and my dad's all like puffy in the eyes. I said, dad, are you okay? Like he's overweight, he's older. I'm like, I hope he's not having a heart attack. Like, <clears throat> you okay, dad? And he's like, he said, you don't know what this means to me because I am not I was not a dad who did this. This is not who I was to you. What, what's the deal? He said, I'm just not worthy of it. And I, I didn't have good words, so then we're just crying right at a baseball game, looking like adult men, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't know, what do, you, what do you say? What do you do there? And it just became, it was so easy. My dad, we had to celebrate. It's your birthday. We can celebrate your life. We don't have to be always so down about all the things that are not right. We can take some moments together as a family. We can find something good to celebrate. We should. Families should be about that. That, to me, that's the help that I longed for. 
for so many years was somebody just look at me and say, Corey, there's something good there. Let's celebrate. That happened one time when I was in, uh, I graduated high school. I was a mess. I mean, I'm a mess right now, but that's different. Uh, I was a mess. And there was a youth pastor. He was actually like an intern. And he got a job at a little tiny church in Okoe. And he said, Corey, you're a mess. I'm like, right, hello. He said, I think you should come and, and help me out and teach kids about Jesus. I'm like, I don't even know if I believe in that guy. <laughs> like following him has been pretty crappy to me so far. Okay, I don't know if I want to do that. He goes, well, just come try it for the summer. And I got there. And the first service I got to lead literally set the building physically on fire. It was not good. It was bad. It was very bad. Uh, and I thought for sure they're going to fire me. Like, this is it. I'm done. I don't need to be at a church. Look at me. I've done way too much wrong. I've done way too many things physically in Orlando. Shouldn't be, I shouldn't be on a stage like this. Shouldn't be talking about God. And after that was done, the pastor, he sat me down. He goes, wow, that was dumb. I'm like, I know. I'll leave. He goes, no. That's what this is about. We make mistakes. We go forward together. And it's that conversation that drastically changed my understanding of what God could do when you ask him for help and somebody, somebody in a seat like where you are answers and say, yeah, I will be a part of the help. I will find somebody who's a little bit of a mess. I will invite them into community and we will live and belong to God and we will belong together. Man, that's what this is about. That's why we sing. That's why we take time on Tuesday together for an hour and some change. Because this is so important. And I don't know where each of us are tonight as far as relating to God and where you fit with him and what you think about him. But I know that he's wanting to do something in each of us for you and for your family and for the people around you. And because if it wasn't for that guy, if it wasn't for Sean looking at me at a bad moment in my life, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know where each of you would be if not received some help, right? So uh, as the band sings and we close here in worship, I want you to just consider some of those questions. As a posture, as a person, are you postured to find people? Are you forgetting people? And don't hear these with shame, hear these with hope. Hear God inviting you to find somebody. Somebody needs to be found tonight, probably by you. Somebody needs a conversation. Somebody needs an invite to coffee. Somebody needs a, hey, I'm here if you need me. Are you finding people or are you forgetting me? Are you about me? Like, are you really invested in yourself and all that you can gain from everybody around you? Are you all about the ticket thing? Or are you about us? And is there some things that you can change tonight or maybe a question or maybe a moment or maybe a text? You can just change some things. Be a little bit more about us. And are you a hater or are you a celebrator? I'm asking because... I have been a hater for far too long in my life. The thing that my dad said to me that got me the most, he said, Corey, you've always been so critical of me. I was like, right, you're the worst. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that. And he, he expected that from me. He expected criticism. It hurt in all of the places. But you know what it did? It gave us an opportunity to have some conversation and cry for the next two innings. And they were the longest innings ever. And we looked like fools, but it didn't matter. And we walked out of there and we had something real to celebrate. I don't have to work that hard now to find something to celebrate about my dad. Now I have something. 
Each of us can have that. No matter how messed up you are, no matter how far gone you feel, no matter how messed up your friends and your family are, each of us can have some of that because God has made it available. Later in Luke, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to find people, and we should too. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to sing about your love, to read your words to us in such a timeless way. God, I pray that we wouldn't forget it, that your words would be etched in our hearts, and that we would leave a moment like this where we read your story and we know what you're trying to say, God, would you just make it clear for each person here as we sing about your love, God, would you just affirm some things in each of us that we need to do leaving this moment. In your name we pray, amen.